This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery. Ian Milheiser is a senior constitutional policy analyst at the Center for American Progress. He's also editor of Think Progress Justice. His writings have appeared in a diversity of legal and mainstream publications. That includes the New York Times, the L.A. Times, U.S. News and World Report, Slate, The Guardian, The Nation, The American Prospect, The Yale Law and Policy Review, and The Duke Law Journal. More than a pleasure to have back on the program Ian Milheiser. Ian, good afternoon. Welcome. And it is a good afternoon indeed for those of us that support this decision by the court, that support this legislation and uh, many of us, not just uh, not all, but uh, not even most necessarily, are Democrats like myself. Ian, good afternoon and welcome. It's great to be back. Thank you so much. And thank you uh, for being back. Um, let's talk about this decision. Would you say that this is perhaps, if not the biggest possible win for the Obama administration? And if so, can you explain why? Because we know um, that there have been other legal challenges that have reached the Supreme Court. And again, the Supreme Court has said this is like the mandate wasn't. This is not unconstitutional. Right. So this is a really big deal. What what the court did today is it didn't just say that this challenge is junk. And, you know, and again, this challenge was trying to strip um, tax credits that help millions of people pay for their insurance away from them. It included very, very broad language about how all courts should interpret the Affordable Care Act in the future. Um, you know, Chief Justice Roberts, in his opinion, wrote that Congress passed the Affordable Care Act to improve health care markets, not to destroy destroy them. And he added that at all possible, we must interpret the act in a way that is consistent with the former purpose and that avoids the latter. So what he was saying there to every judge in the country is he said, look, this is what this law was meant to do. And if someone comes to you with a legal argument that is designed to undercut that purpose, you should treat that argument with skepticism. That, you know, this wasn't just a victory in this case. It was Roberts issuing a declaration that he is sick and tired of these politically motivated attacks on the wall, and he expects other judges to act that way as well. Uh, when you, you know, you have such a legal, extensive legal background, and uh, we got to take a break, Ian. Um, when we come back, I want to hear what maybe even internally your prediction was, because I was shocked at this ruling today, and more so by the composite of the court and uh, the number of majority votes. We'll be back uh, with our guest, Ian Milheiser, Senior Constitutional Policy Analyst at the Center for American Progress and the editor of Think Progress Justice. Back after this. We're back. I'm Leslie Marshall. He's Ian Milheiser, Senior Constitutional Policy Analyst at the Center for American Progress. Ian, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Ian, did you have an internal, I bet this is what's going to happen. Now, now, after the fact, you can tell us. We're not going to Vegas. I mean, I, I mean, I can actually tell you, I, I tweeted out right when I walked out of the oral argument that I thought that the most likely outcome was a six to three decision in favor of the government. So, you know, I look pretty smart this time. I was wrong about the other big case that came down. Now, now you now tell us tell us why you thought this, because I've spoken to Democrats or Republicans in D.C. I've spoken to journalists. I've spoken to attorneys. I've spoken to legal analysts. And most people felt this wasn't going to go. Most people felt they were going to dismantle it, and ironically, 
Right now, Republicans before this were scuttling almost to save it, it seems, and would have come up perhaps with their own version of it in a couple of years, you know, renaming it, you know, I don't know, moron care or something. Sorry, because it was moronic that I got to this point. Why did you feel this? Because some people felt the constitutionality of the subsidy was far more difficult and more splitting of hairs and more of a gray area than a mandate and uh, interstate commerce. Here's what I ultimately think this case came down to. It, it came down to whether we have an ideological court or whether we have a partisan court. And, and here's what I mean by that. Like, this is a really, really conservative Supreme Court. Um, you know, all the justices, but Kennedy wanted to gut a major, all the conservative justices at least, but Kennedy wanted to gut a major prong of the civil rights era today. Um, you know, we've, this is the court that gave us Citizens United. This is the court that struck down the voting rights act. Very ideological court. But the question is whether there are Republican courts. You know, do they have a vision of the law that is ideologically conservative, or are they just going to do whatever the Republican Party tells them to do? And because this legal theory was extraordinary, extraordinarily weak. This legal case was built on the notion that you could take one line of a statute, you can read it out of context, and it doesn't matter what the rest of the law says. It doesn't matter if the rest of the law contradicts what you want that one line to mean, just so long as you convince yourself that one line means what you want it to mean. No one thinks that laws should be read that way. No one thinks that. Liberals, conservatives, everyone agrees that when you read anything, you have to read the full context to understand what it means. Um, and so the question here was not whether there was an ideological view of the law that might win. The question was whether the judges were going to, or the justices were going to walk into their chambers and wear their, their judge robes, their judge hat, or whether they were going to wear their partisan hat. And, you know, as it turns out, at least for Roberts and Kennedy, asking them to set aside their roles as judges in order to be just ranked partisans wasn't something they were willing to do. Let's take some calls. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Catherine is in Maine on line two. Catherine, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Did you have comments you wanted to share, questions, a bit of both with our guest, Ian Milheiser? Sure. Well, mostly I just wanted to share a comment and say, first of all, um, I am a registered Republican for now, although I plan to unenroll because I'm so appalled. Um, I was against the Affordable Care Act in the beginning because I didn't understand how it would impact my life personally and obviously the lives of millions of other people. Um, my husband self-employed, owns his own business. Um, I'm a stay-at-home mom by choice. And our uh, health insurance without the subsidy would be $1,000 a month for the premium with a $10,000 deductible. That is unaffordable to us as a middle-class family. So. I was really terrified that we might lose our subsidy and subsequently lose our insurance. So I just wanted to go on the national airwaves and say I was wrong (laughs) and uh, a lot of other people were wrong. I think it's really time to just face the facts. And what I'd really prefer to see is single-payer health care, but this is the next best thing to single-payer. Hopefully we'll have it soon so that I won't have a $10,000 deductible, but um, that's basically all I wanted to say. Uh, A very great call. Ian, uh, anything you want to add to that? I I mean, it's a wonderful story. It's a story that I hear, you know, over and over again. You know, my my fiancé's father 
save something like ten or fifteen thousand dollars when when the Affordable Care Act went, went into effect because he got a better plan and he got a plan that was cheaper. Um, and you know, and if he was a staunch Republican, you know, up until up until that point, until he realized well, what what he would save. So I mean, this is a common story where you know I think that. You know, big changes are scary. Big changes to involving health care are especially scary because health care is literally what sustains our life. Um, but now with the laws being implemented, I think that as people spend more time with it, they're realizing they got a really good deal. You know, and that's why you see the numbers we see that nearly half of the people who used to be uninsured are no longer uninsured. That's why you've seen the slowdown in the growth of um, premiums that's occurred. You know, people are realizing that this is helping them and all the horror stories they heard in advance weren't really a thing. Um, well, let's take some more calls. But before we do, I wanted to ask you, Ian, what about Chris Christie? I mean, of course, those running for president on the right are going to say this is a bad decision. But this is a guy that was against Obamacare and then turned around and seemed to be for it and was one of, if not the first uh, Republican uh, governors in a state, his state, New Jersey, to sign on for the Medicaid expansion. You know, I mean, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think that that the Medicaid expansion is now going to become the biggest question um, that's facing us regarding this law. I mean, before, you know, with the first Supreme Court case and with this Supreme Court case, there was always a looming existential threat to the law that could potentially destroy it. And those are gone. And now the question is, there are all of these governors, and, you know, Christie, to his credit, did the right thing, and other, uh, you know, there are other Republican governors who did the right thing. The governor of Arizona did the right thing. The governor of Michigan, I believe, did the right thing and took the Medicaid expansion. Um, So it's now up to all these other governors to say, okay, like, you know, am I going to turn down free money? And am I going to deny thousands, essentially tens or hundreds of thousands of residents of my state health care that they are entitled to under law? Or am I just going to, you know, sign on the line, take the free money that the federal government is, is offering my state and allow these people to have what in many cases are, you know, and of course, Medicaid, you're talking about many of the poorest and most vulnerable individuals, um, you know, and make sure that they have the health care that they need. Okay, let's take more calls. 8886 Leslie, 8886537543. Zachary's in New Mexico on line three. Hey, Zachary, good afternoon and welcome. Question or comment for our guests regarding this issue? Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me on again. Um, yeah, just sort of a couple of comments. Um, like, your, like your last caller, I would like to see a single pair system uh, myself, but this is, this is an incredible step towards it. Um, I'm so happy about this decision. Um, without going into too much detail, I can say that I shudder to think what my family and I would be going through right now if it were not for Obamacare. I mean, um, we, my wife in particular, would literally not be able to get the life-sustaining medical care that she needs. Um, so thinking about where we would be without Obamacare is just Oh, I can't even contemplate it. Um, what's what's particularly interesting to me, what I want to bring up, was even just anecdotally, um, uh, looking online, talking with a lot of uh, a lot of friends, particularly libertarian friends, um, is it's it's really interesting that as 
as the Affordable Care Act has been implemented, as people have been going through the systems, a lot of people who had tons of fears about it going into it are, are, are seeing how much it's benefiting them, how much less they're paying for it or getting it in the first place. And so you're actually starting to see this shift um, with, with people on the right of, of all stripes, you know, sort of hard Republicans or libertarians, coming over and, and seeing the benefits of this and, um, and ch- changing their minds, changing their opinions. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing to see. And so sort of questions for you guys about that is, you know, as we, as we move forward, more people are getting into the system, more people are getting care through this. Um, do you guys see any potential future for, for bringing it forward into something like single payer, or should we just be glad we have this for the next 50 years? <laughs> well, Ian? Sure. I mean, I, I can offer a few thoughts. I mean, I, I, too, in an ideal world, would like something like a single payer system. I think that the process of converting from what we have now to a single payer healthcare system is difficult. Um, and it's difficult because we already have so much of our healthcare infrastructure and so many of our jobs, so many people's jobs built on the assumption that healthcare works the way that it has always worked in the United States, which is a private insurer model. So it would be a heavy political lift, I think, to get Congress to you know, to, to take the steps that are necessary to, to you know, to, to make that very disruptive conversion. Um, I think that in the meantime, what we have done has been very successful in using the system that we have in order to fix our problems. Now, there there are additional steps that need to be taken. Like I said, the med, you know, all of the states need to take the Medicaid exemption. That's millions of people who should be insured right now um, who aren't. Um, for, for, for that reason. And, you know, there are certainly things that we can think about in terms of whether it's more generous subsidies, whether it's greater regulation, um, you know, that we can think about how to regulate the exchanges that I think as the politics of healthcare start to normalize may start to become a possibility in, in, in a few years. Um, you know, so I'd like to see a single-payer system. I, you know, I just think the politics of it are very, very difficult. Um, because you're talking about converting the healthcare infrastructure that so many people already have a very strong reliance on. Okay, thank yeah. you. Uh, uh, that, that, anything more from our caller? Oh, just you know, the um, that that sounds spot on to me. And and the only thing that really gives me hope for that is how how much people were talking about how hard the implementation of the Affordable Care Act would be in thinking that, that just this alone would tear the system apart and make it unworkable, make it undoable. But the fact that that doesn't seem to be the case and that a lot more people are, are getting on uh, Obamacare's side does does give me hope for that future. So thank you for that uh, for that answer. All right. Thank you for your call you. and for, for your comment and your question. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Reggie is in Georgia on Line 5. Reggie, question or comment for Ian? Yes, I have a question. Why is it that all these radical right-wing conservative uh, Republican politicians constantly and continually trying to uh, repeal, reverse, and undo Obamacare? I mean, how long is this going to keep going on? And 
until he's out of office. I mean, has their obsessions reached that level? I mean, uh, people want to move on from this. They want to move forward with this. And why do they think the, that the American people are still going to fall, continue to fall for the trap that, for the lies that, and the disinformation and the misinformation that they're spewing out of their mouths? Ian? Sure, sure. I mean, so I think that there are two very discrete worldviews in, in the United States right now. You know, there's one worldview that I think says that we all have a basic obligation to each other. Um, and that doesn't mean that everyone is equal. It doesn't mean, you know, at least equal in the sense that everyone has to make the same amount of money. It doesn't mean that, you know, if you work hard, you shouldn't have advantages that other people have. But it does mean that there are certain things like food and shelter and health care um, that people should not have to fear for especially if they, if they are working hard. Um, and that's one worldview. You know, that's my worldview. That's the president's worldview. That, that is many people's worldview. I think there's another worldview that people sincerely hold, where they sincerely believe that if you make sure someone is fed or if you make sure that they have health care or if you regulate business in a way that makes sure that the people who fall through the cracks wind up having some kind of a safety net, that that somehow fosters dependence, that, you know, that, 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 that somehow is unfair, that that's not fit right for the, for the rich people being told what to do, and then they believe that. And, you know, they, they can believe what they, what they want to believe, and I, and I think that they're sincere. Um, but, you know, what that worldview leads to is it leads to a world where if you're sick and you don't have the money to pay for your care, you're out of luck. It leads to a world where if you have a pre-existing health condition, even if you are wealthy, you can't get you can't get health care because it can be exorbitant, and no insurer will cover you if you don't have the Affordable Care Act. Um, you know, it leads to a world where a lot of people wind up suffering, and frankly, a lot of people wind up dying. Um, and I think it just stems from the fact that, like, they have a different sense of what right and wrong is, and it's you know I think that's unfortunate, but it's you know very clearly something that they believe. Um, you know, so many tweets, and it's amazing to me that some people are just so strongly against it. And speaking of, of course, Republicans talking about repeal and replace, do you think, despite how many, what was it, 50 now, uh, votes to do so, Ian, that we're going to see that going uh, forward, that Obamacare is still going to be the uh, 666, if you will, and, and, you know, demonized piece of legislation that the right uses to try and propel uh, their status and separate themselves further from the left, the Democrats? You know, Ahab's got, got to chase his white whale, and like you know, eventually, I think our healthcare policies are going to normalize. I think that this decision helps. I think that if Republicans ever find themselves controlling Congress and the White House, and they wake up the next morning and realize, oh, this thing that I've said that I was that that I was going to do, that's going to mean ripping healthcare away from 20 or 30 million people tomorrow. And those people aren't going to be very happy with me. Like, you know, maybe they'll think twice. You, you, you know, if, when they have every hospital and every health insurer beating down their door saying, look, we have built our system in reliance on these things, and we don't want to go back to having these patients show up that, um, that, that we have in the hospital's case that, that don't pay us anything because they don't have insurance. You know, the insurers don't want to go back, want to, go back to a world 
you know, where they can't cover everyone and, of course, have those people as their customers. Um, so I think that, you know, eventually reality is going to have to catch up with the people who want to, uh, who, who want to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. I, I couldn't tell you when that's going to happen. Uh, a lot of tweets, uh, and I have a lot of questions. Let me see uh, regarding time. Ah, we're done. Ian, we'll have you back. We'll talk about this and other things. The time has just flown. I'm sorry. So many people want to talk about this, and you know, you're so knowledgeable on it. And glad to have you back on the show. We'll have you back again, Ian. Thank you for the time, Ian right, Milheiser. Thank you, Ian uh, Milheiser, senior constitutional policy analyst at the Center for American Progress. He's also editor of Think Progress Justice. Please follow him on Twitter at i milheiser. I-M-I-L-L-H-I-S-E-R, like it sounds, and at Think Progress. The book is entitled Injustices, the Supreme Court's Nearly Unbroken History of Comforting the Comfortable and Afflicting the Afflicted. Also check out the websites, thinkprogress.org and americanprogress.org. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, A unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love. How to show up with Coca-Cola Energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.